everything comes down to love Then just what am I afraid of When I call out your name Something inside awakes in my soul How quickly I forget I'm yours I'm not my own I've been carried by you all my life Everything rides on Good morning, Transit family. How's everyone doing today? We good? Awesome, awesome. Great to see the sanctuary packed. I like this section over here is all packed out. So if you see my focus over here, call, call me over here too so I don't, I, don't, I don't forget you guys as well, all right? So if I haven't met you yet, if this is your first time here, first time tuning in with us on the, the live stream, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, I am uh, one of the pastors here. Our lead pastor is taking the month of August off, so keep Jeff in your prayers, him and his family in your prayers. This should be a time of refreshing uh, and, and, and some good R&R for his family. So as that uh, bumper showed, we're continuing our sermon series uh, looking at 1 Peter. Today we're going to be in 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter 2. We're going to be looking at 11 through 12 today. If you were with us last week, we looked at 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. And what we talked about last week is how we are a kingdom of priests, that now, uh, that now that God dwells in our midst, we relate to God as a royal priesthood, priestly princes and priestly princesses who now exist to worship and love and serve God. And so what we saw last week is that our redemption was for the proclamation of the goodness of our Redeemer. And what we talked about last week is how we proclaim his goodness with our words, praise and thanksgiving and adoration. And what we're going to be talking about today is how we can proclaim his goodness and we're called to proclaim his goodness, not just in our words, but in our works as well. So has anyone, uh, has anyone here heard of the five love languages? Shout out your love language. What's your love language? Acts of service. I got acts of service over here. Yes. All right. So, so Jen and I, this, this actually really helped Jen and I to learn the five love languages uh, to help us figure out how we can best love and serve one another. So I'm, at, I'm, all, I'm all acts of service, okay? And my wife is all words of affirmation. Any words of affirmation? Yeah. People here? Yeah. Oh, Joe, okay, okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so basically, in the beginning of our marriage, the way uh, I would show love to Jen is I would just like clean the whole house, right? Do the dishes and vacuum and all this stuff. And all she's waiting for is for me to say, I love you, right? Or write her a card. And then the way Jen would love me is she would spend all this time writing this beautiful, well-thought-out card. And I'm like, thank you so much, but the dishes still need to get done, you know? And, uh, and so I'm all, I'm all, hey, demonstrate, and she's all declare your love, right? I'm like, hey, demonstrate your love, and she's all, hey, declare your love. And what we learn for Christians, for the redeemed of God, the way we're to love others and glorify God is both to demonstrate the gospel and declare the gospel. It's, it's to be both. That with our words, we declare the excellencies of our Redeemer, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And with our works, we also proclaim his excellency by demonstrating, by demonstrating his love for us as well. And tragically, in the church, um, if there was 
kind of an indictment. That's probably been true of the church. We just we, tend, we have a tendency to be all talk and no walk. And so my hope is that the Holy Spirit would come and give us some good conviction, not, con, not condemnation, but conviction that leads to repentance. And that we, under the banner of Jesus as the redeemed of God, would be agents, would leave here and be agents of redemption in our world. Because what we, what we see today is that our worship of God is not just to stay in-house and stay in our mouths, but we as the people of God are to take it to the streets, take his awesome uh, uh, gospel and love to the streets and pro- pro- uh, proclaim his love, proclaim that gospel in our deeds as well. So with that said, we're going to read 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12 out loud together, and then I'll, I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive on in here. So 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12, read this with me. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you with mouths full of praise. We come before you thanking you, Lord, that we have the firm foundation of Jesus Christ to build our life, our life on, Lord God. Thank you so much that all other foundations are false foundations, that we rest securely in your love, securely in your forgiveness, securely in your grace, Lord Jesus, for us today. And so we want to come with mouths full of praise. We want to enter your courts with thanksgiving that we can enter your courts, Lord Jesus, today with confidence that you've made a way when there was no way for us, Jesus, to have full fellowship with God who is in our midst today. You are in our midst today. So thank you for that beautiful, beautiful reality today, Lord Jesus. So I pray through the preaching of your word, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would come and you would move and minister to our hearts. Uh, uh, blow us away with awe and wonder, Jesus, of who you are. And fill us with, Jesus, fill us with your compassion for the lost. Fill us with your love. With your love for the lost, and where there's apathy, and where there's indifference, would you purge us of that, Lord Jesus? And would you blow us away with your love for us that would motivate us to go and love others? So, Jesus, I pray that you would magnify, you would increase up here, and I would decrease and be forgotten, and we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, hey, we're going to go through this verse by verse. Um, So we're going to look at the first four words here, verse 11. Verses will be on the screen. This is what Peter says. Beloved, I urge you. So right there, what immediately sticks out is the strength of the appeal that Peter is making to the churches he's writing to, the churches that are scattered throughout Asia Minor. The sense we get in these first four words of this verse is kind of a transition from where he's been, but the sense we get is, I am begging you, church. I am making an appeal to you as those, as those dearly loved by God and those dearly loved by me. And so for those listening, these letters would be sent to the churches, early churches, and they would be, once they were received, they would be read out loud. And so people, uh, from, from start to finish. And so those listening to Peter's letter to the church, the churches would hear this. And, and maybe they were tuning out a little bit or, or kind of losing their focus. They would hear, beloved, I urge you. And then immediately, boom, they got, Peter's got their attention. Why? Because when that moment happens, we, we know that, hey, something really important is about to be said. Something really important is about to come next. For me and uh, my kids, I do that with my kids. Uh, They're in the audience today, so I'm going to be careful what I say. But there's moments when I have to kind of when I have to kind of do what Peter's doing here to the church, right? And one of those moments is if if you're in my house and Mama's getting a little disrespected, then this is usually what comes out of my mouth. Real talk, three three phrases. Real talk, real talk. Eye contact. Listen up, okay? When my kids hear that, uh oh, something something big's going to go down. Why do I say real talk? I have no idea, okay? 
I don't know why I say that. But it, I said it once and it works. Hey, real talk, real talk. Eye contact, listen up, okay? And that's what Peter the pastor, I think, is doing here with, these, with, this, with this intro, this transition in this verse. He's saying Peter, uh, Peter the pastor here, the overseer of these churches, uh, his shepherd heart is coming out and he's going into real talk mode. And this is what he says next. He goes, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, as sojourners and exiles. So what we see, what we've been looking at, if you've been with us the past couple of weeks, what we see is, is Peter here through like the Holy Spirit through Peter is just, is just uh, declaring identity declarations over the people of God, right? If you've been with us the past couple of weeks, what, what have we seen so far? We've seen that we're God's spiritual house, the living stones built up on the cornerstone, built up to the place where God's presence dwells in the midst of his people. Uh, we, see, we saw last week that we're a chosen race, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, that we're God's treasured uh, people, his treasured possession. And, and as the first century audience is hearing this, there's like amens and there's hallelujahs and they're like, yes, like this is who we are. This is everything that is ours because of who God is and now what he's done for us in Christ and who we are in Christ Jesus. And then there's kind of a shift in verse 11 where Peter goes, yes, all of that is true and do not forget that you're sojourners and exiles as well. And what that means is a sojourn is a temporary stay. A sojourn is a temporary stay, and an exile is someone living away or banished from their homeland. So what Peter essentially is saying is, yes, all of this is true of you, church. This is all true of you, but listen, you're not home yet. Heaven is your home. This world is not your home. Okay, this world is not your home. Don't plant your roots too uh, deeply here. Heaven is your home. And until you go home or Jesus returns, you're in exile living on foreign soil. Don't get too comfortable here. This is going to be a rough journey. This is going to be a hard journey, right? That's one of the themes is hope and suffering in 1 Peter. Is that's why he's writing this letter. He's writing it to the persecuted Church And this, this, uh, this idea of the church being in the world but not of the world is a mega theme in the New Testament, our exile identity. We did a whole sermon series uh, earlier this year through Daniel talking about that. But this theme we see throughout the New Testament, look at 1 John 5, 19, says this, we know that we, we the church, we the people of God are from God and, there's a distinction here, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, the devil. And so Christians, we're those who have been rescued from the world. Thanks be to God because of what Jesus has done for us. We've been rescued from the world, which lies in the power of the devil. Jesus Christ has transferred our citizenship from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. Okay? And now we're seen as foreign invaders who are uh, soldiers in God's army to advance the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. And so then the, the deduction that follows, if we are head over heels in love with the things of the world as those who have been saved from the world, which lies in the power of the evil one, then, then what we see in Scripture in some of these verses that we're going to talk about, that's seen as treason. Look at James 4. This is some, some strong words here. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so for sojourners and exiles who want to simply settle down on this foreign soil and, and indulge in all the passions and pleasures of, uh, that the world has to offer, what this is saying, well, that's adultery. That's, that's you wanting to change your citizenship. 
And being a friend of the world, we are, we are sent into the world. We're going to talk about this more, but just I want to say it so nobody thinks that we're supposed to have hatred for people who don't know Jesus or it's us versus them. No, no, no. It is, it is Jesus is for them. We've been given the gospel, and now we're sent into the world in love. And this, these are the things of the world when it talks about things that we need to check our hearts on. Uh, in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, uh, the apostle John talks about what those things are those things of the world that we're to guard our hearts against. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, he defines what, what, what he's talking about here. For all that is in the world, watch this, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. What this is saying is, listen, church, the world is passing away. They're, like We can't keep anything that we, are, we care so much about, all of our worldly possessions and things that we have a death grip on that we're white-knuckling, right? The American dream, our 401k, our, our house, our vacation house, our, our cars, and all that stuff that we just have this death grip on and we're loving and, 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 and almost like bowing down and, and worshiping the American dream. What this is teaching us is, church, this world is not our home, right? If we're to pull out our license and, and see our address, that's just our Airbnb. It's a temporary stay. Uh, meanwhile, while we're waiting our truer and better home. We're citizens of heaven. That's what this is saying. And then uh, Jesus in John 17, 14 through 16, this is the last verse I'll read on this section, but this is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. John 17, Jesus in the upper room. He's praying to the Father in the midst of his uh, disciples, and this is what he prays over his disciples. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because why? Because they're not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, their citizenship has changed because of what Jesus has done. They're not of the world anymore. And I do not, and then watch this, but Jesus says, but I don't take them, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. But watch this, but that you keep them from the evil one. You keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. That verse 15 there is kind of sobering, right? Jesus is saying they're not of the world, but hey, they're going to stay. And, and then, and then, and then, Jesus interceding for his disciples is saying, if they stay in the world, they need protection from the evil one because the world lies in the power of the evil one. And now they're foreign invaders who are going to be seen as pushing back darkness by advancing the kingdom of God. Because we've been rescued, we saw this last week, right? Out of darkness into the marvelous light of God. And now we're called, we're given this great commission. What did Jesus say in Matthew 20? Go! All the nations and tell them, baptize them, tell them, teach them everything I, I, I taught you to command you. And, and, and I am with you to the end of the age. So all that to say is this, Christians, we are sojourners and exiles. We are not home yet. And until we arrive to our truer and better home, this is what this is all leading to. There is a war being waged on your soul and on my soul for our citizenship. I heard it said once, um, uh, I was at Acts 29 conference, I forget who the speaker was, but he talked about this idea of, the enemy, every temptation is not just like a temptation or whatever. It's the enemy trying to adopt you. It's him trying to reclaim you, right? That's why this is so sobering. That's why the language here is so serious. When Peter says, verse 11, beloved, real talk, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war, which have waged war against your soul. And I hope with all the verses we just read, we understand why Peter is using the strength of the language he is using here, right? It totally makes sense. And by the way, I, I thought I was using this last week, and this is like so small here. I think it got adjusted. I got to do an adjustment here. I'm so sorry. Boom. 
I think I either grew or this shrunk last week. Okay. So the strength of the language here Peter is using is intentional because this is serious. He's saying, he's saying, churches, churches, listen up. Churches, listen up. In case you've been lulled to sleep with the love and comforts of this world, there's a war being waged for your soul. You are in the crosshairs. You are in the crosshairs. When you become a Christian, welcome to the battle. Sam Storms, I love Sam Storms. I highly recommend you read literally anything by Sam Storms or listen to anything he preaches. Um, but he talks about this idea of that spiritual protection is never once guaranteed in the New Testament for the believer. We're given command after command to live lives of holiness and obedience and to armor up spiritually. Ephesians 6, we're going to see later in 1 Peter 5, uh, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Right, Hence the need for these commands, uh, Peter reminding us to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. That, the, that, that, that these passions, this is what he's saying. In the Greek, that word abstain, believe it or not, what that word means is actually abstain. It means keep away from, okay? It means avoid. It means flee from. It has no part in. Take no part in, okay? And take no part in what? The passions of your flesh which are seeking to kill you. And so what we learn there is that in our flesh, our sinful nature, that there are these illicit passions inside of us that are always going to want to lead us on the path to destruction, not the path of life. James 1, James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed with the passions of the flesh, by his own desire, then desire, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so what we see here is that Christian life is warfare. Sanctification is warfare. The process of you and I becoming less and less like our old sinful self and more and more like our renewed self and becoming more and more Christ-like is a war between the flesh and the spirit. That the moment you come to Christ, what we've been looking at these past couple of weeks is, is the presence of God takes up residence in your very heart. Christ Jesus comes to dwell in your hearts. God is with you. And then when the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence inside you, there's a war that's declared on your old sinful self. Thanks be to God, right? So, so all I have to say, if you're here today and you're discouraged and you've been fighting the good fight of faith, but you feel like some of the passions of your flesh are just, you know, are just kicking your butt, I have good news for you. Be of good cheer. You're a Christian, right? One of the greatest evidence of you being a Christian is a battle, right? It's scars in the battle. It's both victory over sin and defeat is there's a struggle, right, is there's a struggle going on. That's good news, is that when you and I come to know Jesus, he takes up residence in our heart, and watch this, and now we can finally fight effectively the passions that are trying to destroy us. It's finally a fair fight, and not only that, it's an unfair fight. It's an unfair fight. Why? Because we got Jesus inside of us. Sin, Romans 6, no longer has dominion over you. Why? Because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, right? But do we realize the power we have? Do we realize the access to God we have? Sin will no longer have dominion over. It's not even a fair fight anymore against our sin. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Galatians 5, 16 through 21 talks about this warfare between the flesh and the spirit. This is what the apostle Paul says. But I say, walk by the spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of you. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then watch this warfare language. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. It's evident. Sexual immorality, 
impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, uh, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. You can read that. My kids are present. I'm not going to read that. And things like these. And things like these. Paul's like, in case I forgot anything, and things like this, right? Things that are self-evident that are not of Jesus Christ, but are of the world. And then watch what he says next in verse 21. And I warn you, as I warned you before, real talk, real talk 2.0. I warned you once, I'm warning you again, real talk, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Serious stuff, church, serious stuff. And I believe this is what he's talking about here is, is the Christian life is a life of repentance. And what he's saying here is if there is no repentance, if, there, if, if you have no problem with anything in your life that's on that list, no scars from the battle of sin, no victories or defeats, what, what, what I believe the Apostle Paul is saying there, you most likely don't have the Holy Spirit and aren't walking by the Spirit because there's no battle. There's no sign of a struggle. You've, made, you've declared a truce with that, with that which has declared war on you because the evidence of a Holy Spirit is, that it is warfare between your sinful passions and, and, and seeking through the power of the Spirit to love and obey Jesus Christ. And so I just want to encourage you, man, if you're here today and you're the fight, you're in the thick of it, keep on keeping on, baby. But let's do it in the power of the Spirit, the power that Jesus provides. And, and that's evidence of our salvation is that now, hey, guess what? Warfare is, 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 uh, is the, the, the resume, right, for the Christian. When you, when you come to know Jesus, it's not all health, wealth, and prosperity. Hey, welcome to the battle. Here's a shield of faith, a sword of the Spirit, a helmet of salvation, right, the belt of truth. Now let's go to war, right? Welcome to the battle. And often, you know, if I, if I were to ask, okay, application, Nick, how do we, Peter says, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which are declaring war on your soul. How are we to do that? How do we obey that command? That's another, that's a whole another sermon I don't have time to talk about. But, but step zero is this. If you look back at Galatians 5.16, scripture is not uh, silent on, on, on answering that question. But I say, walk by the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That means it is a supernatural fight. This is what I'm getting at. Often in the church, and often I've been guilty of giving people this you know, prescription when they come to me with you know, passions of the flesh they're struggling with, and we give them a long list of instructions on what to do, completely devoid of God. Completely devoid of God. You could, they could go talk to their non-Christian friend, and they would give them the same advice probably, Right? And so I was talking with uh, my in-laws who were out of, out of town, uh, and uh, they had a friend who was wrestling with anxiety and went to go see a Christian counselor. Quick disclaimer, I love Christian counseling. We partner with HeartSong here. I'm really good friends with, uh, uh, really good friends with uh, the Christian, one of our Christian counselors over there. It's great because every time I grab coffee, I get free counseling. It's awesome. Um, but like, so don't, don't hear me say that I don't think all of us should go get Christian counseling. It's, it's amazing. We love that. But I don't know who he saw, but apparently it was a Christian counselor. And he left, apparently he left, they were telling me this, with all he, I guess all he left with was this idea of, hey, I, uh, the Christian counselor, I told her, you know, told them, I don't know if it was a guy or girl, that um, I was wrestling with an anxiety and I just got these breathing exercises to do. And, and science shows that, hey, like, Breathing exercises, not like new age breathing exercises, but just counting your reps in and out actually slows down your body and gets it out of panic mode and calms it down. That's great. That's a secondary remedy for a believer. Anxiety has far greater and deeper roots than just breathing exercises. And the tragedy, when I was talking to them, I said this. I was like, if he would have gone to a, if he would have gone to a non-Christian counselor, he would have gotten the same advice. And then I said this. I said, surely, surely the redeemed of God 
have more in their arsenal to fight sin and the passions of the flesh than breathing exercises. Right? I mean, come on. God's spirit has been poured out on his people. We got to have more to fight than just this. Right? Than just, and all truth is God's truth, yes? Amen? Right? And so there are books we should read. Maybe some of us should be doing breathing exercises, right? I have nothing against that, but first and foremost, Jesus says in John 15, he says this, this is a Christian life, abide. Abide in me, and I in you. As a, as a branch can't, as a, as, a, as, you can't, as a branch can't bear any fruit when it's disconnected from the vine, neither can you. Apart from you, abiding in me, walking lock and step with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ inside of you, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And so often our advice is, hey, sideline Jesus in your fight against sin and the passions of your flesh. Box him out. You don't need him. Apart from Jesus, you can't do anything. But apart from Jesus, you can conquer the passions of your flesh, which have been kicking your tail your entire life, right? And so, and so you might be saying, okay, well, what does it look like to do that? Man, we got to know Jesus. We got to love Jesus. We got to walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus, cry out to him, stir our affections for him. Jesus Christ has torn the veil. He's given us access to the very presence of God. We're the most privileged people on the planet. We have access to the God of the universe any second of any hour of any day. And then, and then what we looked at last week, Hebrews encourages us to say, and now let us draw near with confidence because it's Christ who's given us a seat at the table. Don't hold back. And so what that looks like is this. And again, the roots run deep. This is not the only, you know, everything is situational when it comes to some of the passions of our flesh. Um, but this is step zero, I believe, is this, is, is when the passions of our flesh come knocking on our door, we know that we're not alone, right? And so in the past, for me, if I was offended or got upset or whatever, bitterness and resentment are knocking on the door, right? Let us in. Ah, and I would be like, yeah, you know what? I, want you. I, was, I was wronged. You guys, come on in. And then, you know, they got a five-gallon bucket of gasoline and a lighter. Like, let's burn Nick's house to the ground, right? We're here to destroy Nick. What would it look like in that moment when I'm, when I'm offended or, you know, whatever, and I go, hey, Jesus, I, I can't handle this. I'm, I'm powerless in my flesh to fight the flesh. Would you answer that door, Jesus? Would you answer that door? The living, the real, the present Jesus. Every temptation you face is an opportunity to connect with the living God and inviting him into that moment. Every thought of anxiety or depression or fear or temptation is, a, is, a, is an opportunity to say, thank you, Jesus. Jesus, come. Jesus, help. Jesus, answer the door. So Jesus goes and answers the door and bitterness and resentment are going, what? Who, wait, I thought, I thought this was Nick's house, right? What's... Is Nick, Nick home? What's, what's going on? So like, yeah, I'm with Nick. I'm with Nick. I got, I got my boy covered. What do you guys want? Oh, we're here to destroy Nick's life. Yeah, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Oh, hey, Nick, Nick, hey, real quick. Um, in order to keep out bitterness and resentment, here's the deal. The only way we can keep these guys out is if you let in forgiveness and compassion for those who have wronged you. So you tell me, do you, want, do you want to forgive those who have wronged you and start cultivating compassion and empathy and kindness for your enemies? Oh, you do? Awesome. Hey, bitterness, uh, resentment, your work's done. You can, you can leave. Forgiveness, compassion, let's go. Nick's getting a renewed heart right now and a renewed mind. Boom, baby. That's only possible with the power of the Spirit. Our, we have a supernatural worldview. We do not fight unarmed, church. We do not fight unarmed. And that's why I'm so passionate about this. And then I'll, I'll wrap up. I'll transition to the next session with this. Is that... 
So often in the Christian life, we feel like we're completely alone. And, we, and what we've seen these past couple weeks is that God is in our midst. And if God is with us, who can be against us? Greater is he who is in me. That really means that God is inside of us. That's what that means. That's not theoretical. It means greater is he who is indwelling me as the living stone, as God's spiritual house, than he who is in the world. It's not even a fair fight anymore. If we, if we cry out to the overcomer in those moments. And so we don't work alone. We don't parent alone. We don't commute alone. We don't make our breakfast alone. We don't go to bed alone. We don't fight the passions of our flesh alone. Jesus Christ is with us to the ends of the age. Now, and if he is, it's an unfair fight against the passions of our flesh. So that's step zero, right, in our, in, in, in our warfare. And for some of us, and you know, uh, this, is, this is what I'm going to say. My question would be this. As I've been talking, we've read those lists. What are those passions of the flesh which are waging war on your soul? What are those passions of the flesh which are waging war on your soul? And what would it look like today to begin to change your strategy? The heart of Jesus is for you to be set free from that. You can get, watch this, watch this. You can get progressive victory over what has been kicking your tail in Christ Jesus. Absolutely. Jesus has a vested interest and you're doing that. That's the West, the work he does is sanctify us and remake us and renew us. You can get victory in Christ Jesus over that which is waging war on you. And so would, you, would today be the day of repentance? Would the day, today be the day where you cry out and you hand over that to Jesus and say, white towel, I raise the white flag, I surrender, I need you, Jesus, and now I'm going to begin this journey fighting with you and not fighting solo and sidelining you in this warfare that we're uh, fighting. And so that would be my encouragement to, uh, to you, an open invitation. Anyone wants to come to me after the service and, and, and get more help. It's, it's obviously more complex than this, but that is step, that is step zero for the Christian is abiding and, and, and talking to you and walking with God in our uh, battle against sin. And so verse 12, moving on, what we see here is that uh, if we were to ask the question, well, why? What's the why question of why we should abstain and fight the passions of our flesh? What we see is that our fight for Christ-likeness in our lives has corporate consequences, that our, our conduct and our deeds are, are testifying about the goodness of God to the watching world. What we do is telling a story about who our God is. So verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So the first thing we see here is that, yes, uh, Peter is telling the church, yes, you're not of the world anymore, but you are to be sent into the world as agents of redemption and salvation because the assumption behind what Peter is saying here when he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, when Peter says Gentiles there, he's talking about the church's new Israel. So everyone who's a Gentile is, are those who are the non-believers, those outside the church. So when, when the assumption behind this command, when he is saying, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, honorable, he's saying, he's assuming that the church is still hanging out with non-believers. So closely, so closely relationally, that these Gentiles both know what they believe and can see what they do. Know what they believe and see what they do. And that's what we see in John 17. We've read that already, but a little a couple of verses later, John 17, 18, Jesus is praying and he says, yes, my disciples are not of this world, but as the Father has sent me into the world, I send them into the world. Which means this, when you and I come to know and follow Jesus, it is not to be a massive flight out of society into our doomsday bunker uh, to wait for glory. No, it is to be a full sprint run to the world 
with the love of Jesus and the hope of Jesus and the redemption alone that he can offer. That's what it means to follow Jesus, not not the nuclear Benedict option where we all just, hey, let the world burn, we're all going to do our thing over here. No, no, no. We, we go armed and dangerous with, a, with, a, with, with Jesus Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the message of, of the gospel to uh, declare. And what that means is this, in our pursuit of personal holiness, our pursuit of abstaining from passions of the flesh, um, that doesn't come about through us social distancing. Not, not like COVID social distancing, but like you guys know what I mean, right? The church just being guilty of social distancing from sinners. Like, I have to be personally holy, so therefore, sorry, got to keep my distance, social distancing from anyone not in my tribe, okay? Because I might get what they have. That's bogus, right? That's bogus. In fact, as we grow in personal holiness, becoming more and more like Jesus, as we grow in Christlikeness, we will grow in compassion and empathy for the lost, which will lead to action. And it will not drive us away from the world, but draw us closer to the world in love. And so personal holiness that doesn't lead to an outward love for others and a devotion to good works for God's glory is just the Christianized version of self-help. Right? A pursuit of personal holiness that doesn't lead, that isn't Godward and outward. Greatest commandment is love for God and love for others. Right? It's, it's a Christianized version of, of, of self-help because it's just all about us. And, and that's what the Pharisees were guilty of is, hey, I need to be really, really holy and you all exist to make me holy or not make me holy. So if you're with me, then I'll hang out with you. If you're against me, then I won't hang out with you. Right? So they kept their distance and they accused Jesus. What was the greatest accusation hurled against Jesus? He's a friend of sinners. He's hanging out with people you shouldn't be hanging out with if you're someone who's holy. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to be like Jesus, you're going to have the same circle of friends that Jesus had is what he's saying. Ephesians 2.10, I love this, says this. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so what we learn here is that good works done for the glory of God and the good of others is not legalism. It's the purpose of our redemption. It's the purpose of our redemption. God created us. We're his workmanship to be agents of redemption in the world. And, and, and this gospel of Jesus Christ is to be demonstrated with our actions as well as declared with our lips. So returning to verse 12, we see that Peter says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And then he says something interesting. He says this, here's, here's one motivation for good works. He says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Notice here, church, notice Peter doesn't say if. He doesn't say if, he says when they speak against you as evildoers. Not if, but when. In the context of this letter, Peter is writing, we're going to talk about persecution in a couple weeks, but Peter is writing to the persecuted church that's suffering under the tyrannical reign of of Nero, the emperor Nero. You just do a quick Google search on Nero and what he did to Christians, and it was horrific. It was awful. So there was this growing animosity and opposition uh, to to the church, the early church, And, um, and what we need to realize is that for us, for believers in the West, Persecution is a promise from the very lips of Jesus to his followers. It's not prosperity. It's not health and wealth. It's one of the crystal clear promises of Jesus is, watch this, Matthew 10, 22. And you will be hated by all for my namesake. You will be hated by all for my namesake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And why will we be hated? Because we're no longer of this world. Right? We're going to talk more about this too. I'm not going to spend too much time here. We're not of this world. We're seen as foreign invaders. Right? 
We're seen as foreign invaders. We're not of this world. And it's interesting, the indictment that Peter says is going to be hurled against the churches is this, is that. It's not the indictment for believers in Jesus is not just, hey, you're weird, or that's old-fashioned, or that's foolish. It's actually, it's actually an accusation of evil, that you are committing evil, that you are committing something that is criminal. And, and I don't know if you've been watching the news or seeing what's taking place in certain circles in our nation, but church, the opposition is growing, and the hostility is growing against the church to the point that it, the accusation is you don't just get the weird looks anymore. You know, like, oh, man, like, you believe what? Like, what, what wise person would ever, what, you know, what intelligent person would ever believe what you believe? It's not just that anymore. It's actually seen as criminal. It's actually seen as evil, as evil. Like, not just, oh, that's okay, you stay over there. It's actually seen in some, in some circles, if you listen to some rhetoric, it's actually seen as a cancer. The church is seen as a cancer to society that needs to be purged, okay? And the question that we're faced with, and this is what Peter is talking about for the church that is facing persecution, is how are we as followers of Jesus going to respond, not if that persecution comes, but when it comes? And the two options we love to, to, to do are it's either flight or fight, right? So one, one, uh, some literature out there in the Christian world would say it's time, it's time for all the Christians to step back and run to the hills and create little monastic communities and save themselves and save, you know, that's one, the flight. And then the other option is fight. I'm going to dig my heels in and scream the louder until a vein is popping out of my forehead, right? And just rage and anger. We're going to fight, right? Those are some options that we've probably seen play out recently. But Peter gives us a far better option. He says, church, abound in good works. Respond with love and compassion. Love that is shown. Love that is displayed. Love that is demonstrated. That's what he says. Why? Why should we do that? It will not only falsify the accusation against you as being an evildoer, but people will come to know and worship Jesus when they see Jesus in you. When you're persecuted and slandered and spit upon and, and, and slighted in society and you, and, you, and you do what Jesus did for the very people who are, who are crucifying him, you pray for those. You love them. You lay down your life in sacrifice of good works for them. Matt Chandler says this. I love this. He says, we need to confuse people with the gospel. We need to confuse people with the love of Jesus where people, when they come to know us, will say, hey, I, you're a Christian. I know what you believe, which makes you a hate-filled bigot who self-righteously condemns anyone and everyone outside of his or her tribe. That's what you believe. And what Chandler's saying is through our, our good works done in love for others, we need to confuse people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, that, so those very people can say that and condemn us and that, but then, but then we want to confuse them with our conduct, right? That's done out of sincerity for love of others and, and get them to ask questions like this. So I know what you believe. You're a hate-filled bigot, but why, why is that homosexual couple having dinner at your house tonight? I thought you were a Christian, why, why is that? Why are you spending a large part of your weekends hanging out with Muslim refugees to teach them English? You're a Christian. Why are you doing that? Why are you, a Christian, trying to befriend me, to serve me, to get to know me when you know that I am completely uh, opposed to you? I don't believe what you believe. See, what Peter is saying here is that people around us should know what we believe, but see our conduct and see our conduct, our Christ-likeness, and not just scratch their heads, but say, but say I want what you have. What do you have? I see a love in you that I don't have. I see a joy in you. I see a contentment. I see a peace. I see a compassion for, uh, for others in you that I don't have. And when that moment comes, this is what Peter's saying, is when that moment comes for the church, 
We're not pointing people to our own goodness so that they can see we're all woke and with it, right? They can, you can smell a phony from a mile away, right? People are not projects. People are people that we're called to love and to serve with sincerity, right? And that only comes when, we're, when we first understand the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, who we were, and what Jesus has, has done for us. But what Peter makes crystal clear is that our good works are an act of worship, right? Our good deeds are done to testify about the goodness of somebody else, Jesus Christ, not ourselves. We are not in the business of pointing people to ourselves. We're in the business of of letting the redemptive work of Jesus flow through us to others so that they can come to see the beauty and the wonder and the joy of knowing Jesus. That's what Peter is making crystal clear, that we are a walking and breathing billboard for the goodness of God. And the simple truth is this, is that everything God does to us in Christ Jesus' church, he wants to do through us, right? Everything that that we have received because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us is never to stop with us. It's to flow through us to others. We're redeemed to be agents of redemption in our cities, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. We're forgiven to forgive others. We're adopted to adopt. We're loved to love. We are blessed to be a blessing to society. His redeeming love is never to stop with us, but to flow through us to the world around us. And the motivation, the motivation for our conduct, for our good works, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's who Jesus is, what he's done for us. That is the high-octane fuel for our devotion, for good works of love, for the glory of God and the sake of others. So I've been reading through a book by David Platt uh, called Counter Culture. This book here, I highly recommend it. Uh, my brother recommended it to me, and I was joking with him the other day. I was like, bro, I can usually fly through books. I can't make it five pages through this book without stopping and praying and repenting. And, and it's just so good. It's just so good. I think it's a very, very timely uh, a book for where we're at in our nation, and it's a call to action to the church to display the goodness of Jesus in tangible ways in our land. So I'm going to share this quote near the end of his book, and I think it just fits perfectly with what we're talking about today. He says, so let us not stay silent with this gospel. Let us not allow fear in our culture to muzzle our faith in Christ. Let's not enable indecision to rule our lives. Let's not permit delay to characterize our days. Watch this. We don't have to ask what the will of God is. He has made it clear. He wants his people to provide for the poor, to value the unborn, to care for orphans and widows, to rescue people from slavery, to defend marriage, to war against sexual immorality in all its forms in every area of our lives, to love our neighbors as ourselves regardless of their ethnicity, to provide for refugees, to practice faith regardless of risk, and to proclaim the gospel to all the nations. Of these things, we are sure. And then he says this, so pray to God, participate with God, proclaim the gospel, and do these things. This is what I'm getting at. And do these things, not because you have a low-grade sense of guilt that you ought to act. Did you guys catch that? Do these things, not because you have a low-grade sense of guilt that you ought to act, but do them because you have a high-grade sense of grace that makes you want to act. Watch this. Do them because you know that you were once impoverished in your sin. You were once a slave to Satan, orphaned from God and alone in this world, yet Yet God reached down his mercy-filled hand into your sin-soaked heart, and through the sacrifice of his only begotten son on a bloodstained cross, he lifted you up to new life by his alluring love. You now have nothing to fear. 
You now have nothing to fear, nothing to lose, because you are robed in the riches of Christ and safe in the security of Christ. I absolutely love that. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he does, that motivates us to not keep our distance from the world, but run full sprint to the world as agents of redemption, the redeemed going into the world to redeem. And Peter says this, and I'm wrapping up with this. Peter says this, what is the result of our good works? He says this, he says, they will see your honorable conduct that they may see your good deeds. And then what? And glorify God on the day of visitation. I love that. What that means is this. What is he talking about when he says glorify God on the day of visitation? That day of visitation, he's not talking about, he's not talking about the day of final judgment. What Peter is talking about there, literally in the Greek, it means this. On a day when God visits them. On a day when God visits them. Meaning this, through your gospel proclamation, in your conduct, in your good deeds, done out of sincere love for the dying world around you, people will see the goodness of Jesus in that and therefore respond by trusting in him and worshiping in him, right? The slanderer, the persecutor, will become converted and, and become a worshiper of Jesus. That's what he's saying. As we both declare the gospel in our, wor- in, our, in our words, and demonstrate it in our works. The slanderer becomes a worshiper. The person pointing the finger of accusation at the church will be lifting their hands with you in worship of your common redeemer. And I just want to paint the vision for us before I wrap up with one final verse. Church, what would that look like in this room for those who would never step foot in this room as we go out, as we go out, uh, letting the worship of God not just stay in our mouths, but we, we, we take it to the streets. We take, we take the glory of God to the streets and we start loving our neighbor and serving our communities. What would it look like for, for former persecutors and slanderers of the church, or maybe even you, to be in this room one Sunday morning raising their hands in worship to Jesus? Tears streaming down their face for the forgiveness of their sins, the cleansing that Jesus has given, the new life that he has given. What would that look like, church? See, here's the deal. This Jesus this gospel is too good. It's too good to keep to ourselves. It's too good to keep here. Let's go. Let's go. Let's tell them. Let's show them. The gospel of the kingdom is show and tell. We tell them about Jesus, and we show them what he's like and what he's done for us in our actions, right? So let's go, church. Let's go. And the beautiful thing that Jesus says in the Great Commission is this. You go to all the nations and know what? And know what? That I am with you. To the end of the age, when we go to the streets, when we, when we go and love our neighbors and we go to our communities and, and tell them about Jesus and show them what Jesus is like, we don't go alone. We go armed and dangerous for the kingdom of God. We have the presence of God with us. So let's go. May that embolden us, right? And let us answer today yes to the call of Jesus Christ in Matthew 5. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells his disciples this. He says, he says this, let your light shine before others. What a great calling, church. The invitation to follow Jesus is the greatest opportunity extended to a human being. What a great calling we have. We have the hope of the world. We have the light of the world. We have the resurrection and the life living inside of us. We are the light of the world. We've been redeemed from darkness into his marvelous light. And Jesus says, now let that light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, come before you uh, with hearts humble and and probably in need of repentance, Lord. I I come before you confessing my apathy, Lord Jesus, to the needs that are all around me in in this community. Lord Jesus, we come uh, uh, just confessing our love for the world, our love of comfort, 
our love of, of, of acceptance of, of what the world says about us. We want to be liked and loved by everyone. And Jesus, you teach us that just for, for professing to, to know you and follow you, we're going to be hated by people, Lord Jesus. So I pray, Holy Spirit, you would come and, and you would sweetly just convict us, Lord, of areas in our lives where um, we're quenching your spirit and the work that you want to do through us, in us and through us, Lord Jesus. So come have your way. I just pray that uh, your people today would, would surrender our hearts and our lives to you and that we would leave here transformed. We would leave here, Lord, with a fire in our belly of being blown away at who you are, being blown away at how good we have it in Christ Jesus. That you, you out of love, you out of compassion for humanity, Jesus, you left your throne. You didn't close your ears. You didn't close your eyes. You didn't silence your mouth. You, you did something. You took on flesh and you hung out with sinners. And on the cross, you called all sinners to yourself with arms outstretched, the sacrificial love, and you call us to take up our cross and to follow you, to go where you went and do what you did, Lord Jesus. And so may, Holy Spirit, you bring that about. And any passion of the flesh that is warring against that from happening in our lives, we go to war against you today. We go to war against you today. Lord, put a fire in the belly of your church. Raise up mighty warriors in your kingdom armored up with your love, with your love and your compassion for the lost Lord Jesus. So we need you to do this. And so we ask, we ask for more of your Holy Spirit to help us do that. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, I want to invite you all to stand. We're going to sing one last song of worship. Thanks. There is a king seated among us. Let every heart receive him now. Where there is praise, he will inhabit. There will be grace and mercy all around. And every burden will be lifted in his presence. Every trophy will be laid down at his feet. There is a name the reigns above all others. Jesus Christ. The King above all kings. Unto the Lamb honor and glory worthy is he who overcame buried in shame risen in power 
and he is alive the stone is rolled away and all our worship will belong to him forever death is conquered and our savior holds the keys there is a name that reigns above all others jesus christ the king above all kings It won't be long, we will behold him, and every tear he'll wipe away, we'll be at home, the war will be over, soon we will meet our Savior face to face. And every burden will be lifted in his presence. Every trophy will be laid down at his feet. There is a name that reigns above all others. Jesus Christ, the King above all kings. And all our worship will belong to him forever. Holy, holy, for all eternity. There is a name that reigns above all others. Jesus Christ, the King above all kings. Jesus Christ, the King above all kings. Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball to him all majesty ascribe and crown him lord of all to him all majesty ascribe and crown him lord lord of all 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 
majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. Amen. You may be seated. All right, Transit family, we have the tremendous blessing of being able to take communion together as uh, the bloody body of Christ, blood body of Christ. And so with that said, I want to give you a moment if you're watching to grab some communion elements at home, some bread, some wine, or some juice. And if you're here today and haven't picked up your communion elements in the hallway, make sure to grab uh, one of those. I'll give you a moment to do that as I read 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What we see here is what this meal commemorates, communion, is just the sacrificial love God has for you. He demonstrated his love on the cross for us, his posture for us. He gave his very life so that you could receive life in him. It's great news. It's great news. And, and, and then he institutes the Lord's Supper. He's saying, don't forget, remind yourself through this meal of, the, of the, the, the cost of your redemption, the table I've prepared for you. I gave my body and my blood to bring you to myself and to give you the gift of eternal life. What kind of love is this? What kind of savior is this? And so church, man, may we do this with grateful hearts. thought that was my kid for a second. I was going to have him come up. But uh, so with that said, take the, uh, take the wafer. This symbolizes the, bo- the body of Christ, which was broken for you. This here represents the blood of Jesus, which was shed to purchase you, to ransom you, to redeem you, and to reconcile you back to God, forgive you of your sins, and bring you home to God. That's what this represents. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to wrap up with a couple of quick announcements. First off, I want to welcome the guests here. If you're with us here for the first time, I want to say thank you for joining us. If you're with us on the live stream, thanks for uh, being our guest. We're honored that you would uh, be, with, be with us in person or online. If you are with us today in person, uh, we'd love to connect with you and give you the opportunity to connect with us. We want to point you to the back of the room. There's a table there with some connection cards on your way out. If you could fill out one of those connection cards and drop it in the box, that would be awesome because we'd love to get to know you a little bit better. And if you're with us online and want to get more information about us and want to let us know that you're with us online, go to our, our website, go to the contact page and write us an email and feel free to ask us any questions you might have about the church and how you can get better plugged in here with the Transit family. So my only announcement is about our community groups. Um, and we are doing our annual community group leader basic training next Saturday. It's going to be here from 8 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. at the church, breakfast and coffee. 
uh, will be provided. What our basic training is, it's kind of our annual training and a requirement for all of our community group leaders. It's where we kind of unpack all the, the whys behind our passion for community groups and define the roles and responsibilities of uh, a CG leader. Talk about how to best facilitate and lead your group and give you the tools you need to, uh, to do that. And so with that said, if you are a community group leader and you haven't attended, we obviously you're going to be there uh, because it's mandatory for all of our community group leaders. But here's the deal. For those of you who are aspiring one day to become a community group leader, not this fall or maybe in the winter or even in the summer, or you're just interested in getting more information uh, about our community groups and why we emphasize them, we invite you to come. We, the more the merrier. So it's open invite. Just let me know so I know how much food uh, to order. So uh, please come talk to me if you want more information about that or email me and let me know that after today that, yeah, you plan on coming because you're just curious to, to check out uh, our philosophy of ministry in regards to community groups at the transit. Uh, last but not least, we're going to close with God's word, this final benediction, Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Transit Church. God bless you.